The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dave. How's it going, Dave? Doing good, buddy. Happy one-year anniversary. Is that right? Yes, to you and the show, because our first episode was released August 28th, 2015. Yes. Is it bad that I didn't know that, and you did? Are you feeling slighted? A little bit. Well, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, you, you didn't get me anything. I really did. Cause I, I, I didn't like I knew we were around the one year mark because mm-hmm. we do weekly podcasts and we're in the 50s. Yeah. And so I figured it was coming. But I didn't know like today was the exact day yep. that we started this one year ago. Today's the day. That's I mean, that's terrific. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I got you friendship and brotherhood, but, you know, apparently I didn't even bring that. Yeah, no, that's that's <laughs> really cool. I, yeah, we've been I, doing this for a year, man. And yeah. I didn't I, I honestly didn't think it would get this far. I know. We're going to do that same wistful nostalgia thing that we did last week for our big 50th episode. We're like, we didn't think we were going to make it this far. No, we didn't. We started off in uh, in your, your parents' uh, edition. Yeah. Sort of like a little pool house thing, office that was kind of weird. That's right. Unbearably stifling hot because we always had to turn off the AC to do the show. That's right. <laughs> yeah. We, um, it was so hot in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. We The temperatures would rise. That was not fun. But uh, surrounded by treadmills that didn't work. Not treadmills, one. Yeah, treadmill, uh, uh, TV that didn't work. There's a TV in there? Yeah. I didn't know there was a TV in there. Well, because you were just focused on making the product, That's man. true, yeah. There was Mario. There was your notes for what to study for the bar exam from like 2012. That's right. Typical. Um, <laughs> and now... Yeah, there's a bunch of just like weird random stuff. Some of which are here, like the Chinese cigarettes. Yeah. Well, Chinese, the, the gift from my... Uh, your father-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. 200 Chinese cigarettes, which, by the way, was really hard to get through customs... <laughs> from china back into the united states oh that's right you had to bring them from china yeah like they're like my father-in-law gave them to me in china and then i had to explain to the customs person why i had 200 chinese cigarettes i feel like he didn't get you cigarettes as much as he wanted to get you arrested yeah i think that was his subtle way of being like you will not marry my daughter and enjoy time in chinese prison yeah basically and i remember when i the, the conversation that I had with the customs guy, uh-huh. like, because he just kind of looked at me like, really? <laughs> the customs guy in the United States? Yeah. Okay. Like, he, you know, he just gave me like a really face, like, you're not even going to like try to smuggle these in, mm-hmm. like 200 cigarettes. And, and the way what I said to him was, look, I'm going to be real with you. These were a gift from my father-in-law or my future father-in-law. Um, and so it's it was very special to them. They gave this to me. I'm not going to smoke any of them, but... <laughs> If you need to get rid of them so that I can, of course, come back to my 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 country, tis of thee, perfectly fine. But so you're not in the Bermuda Triangle of you're not in the United States at that point in LAX. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. You know, I'm not Tom Hanks's character in the terminal, terminal like yeah. stuck between two countries. Like uh-huh. I was like, if you need to get rid of them, that's fine. I'm not going. I can't throw them away. I can't get rid of them. But if you have to get rid of them by force of law, like I'll at least be able to tell yeah, if you want to make a scene, wife that if you want to make a scene, that's great. Maybe <laughs> if, I mean, if you want to, I mean, I hope don't punch me in the face, yeah. but if you need to like maybe nice stick me in the gut, that'd be great. Right. I have to look like I'm putting up a fight. Yeah. Just so I can't just, you know, I can't make it easy for you. That's all. But yeah, that was, but yeah, those, those cigarettes are still here to this day. I have yet to smoke a single one, but uh, there they are. Do you want to break one out and smoke one on air? God, do you think, do you think cigarettes go bad? Like any smokers out there listening, email us, break the business at gmail.com. Like I have 200 Chinese cigarettes unfiltered Uh sitting here. If we were, I mean, if we were to smoke them a year later, like, are we going to get sick? Like does, does cigarettes go bad? Does tobacco go bad? Well, I I mean, I don't know. I only smoked two cigarettes in my life and that was freshman year of college. So really? Yeah, that's it. I did. You smoked like a cigarette in college Two. What was her name? <laughs> you don't need to tell me, but the fact that you laughed made me know. You know who she is. <laughs> oh, that girl. Okay. <laughs> yeah, women can make us do anything, huh? Yeah. All right. So you can follow the Break the Business podcast, or rather, you should, you can like the Break the Business podcast by going to facebook.com slash break the business. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan K A I R. Where can they follow you, handsome Dave? At Metal Dave 85. Very good. Uh, you can. 
Check out the Break the Business podcast on SoundCloud as well as Stitcher. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes. If you're on any of those platforms, throw us a rating, subscribe to us, uh, throw us a review. That stuff's really helpful with moving up those algorithms so mm-hmm. that we can expand our audience. And above all else, tell a friend. I get so many people telling me on Twitter that they found out about the podcast because somebody told them about the podcast. I'm convinced, despite all the people telling me otherwise about the power of the internet, that telling a friend is the best form of advertising for us. Probably. And, I mean, David doesn't tell any of his friends. He's probably ashamed of the show, but... I have told... see, Ed. Hi, Ed, if you're listening. Yeah, Gabby. I've told friends. friends. It's got to be more than single digits, right? Right, so, well, if it's more than one, then I guess it's by definition you have told friends. That's true. I've told you. Yeah. <laughs> I've sat in front of the TV while watching uh, the show Friends and told them to w- listen to the show. I told friends, right? I told friends. <laughs> Wait, wait for it. Wait for it. There it is. All I right. feel like over the last month or two, you've gotten extraordinarily slow with that. With the drum thing? Yeah. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah. I think it, I felt it was easier when we had our piano. Yeah. Now I'm doing the sound effects on my cell phone. So it's kind of, you know, some I, the buttons are small. And look, I'm just making excuses. I kind of want the keyboard back. The keyboard we had that in, in our first episode. In, or, you know, in the really, old days? In the old days. Yeah. Those are better. So you're, you're saying that my... My evolution to new technology has been subtraction by addition. Like the in, yes. in the moving forward, we have lost something. Oh my God! Yes, well, much like streaming. So coming up in the next segment, yes. uh, we got Bobby Osinski. I am thrilled to present this guy to you. He's a super accomplished author. He's written twenty three books about the music industry. Makes me feel like crap because uh, I wrote the one and I'm never going to write another one because it's so hard. And he's, yeah, I wrote 23. Uh, he also has uh, his most recent book, Music 4.1, A Survival Guide for Making Music in the Internet Age. You can also find him on his blogs, The Big Picture and Music 3.0. He even has his own podcast, Bobby Ausinski's Inner Circle. So there's many ways you can find him. He's going to have mm-hmm. some great advice, and he's coming up in the next segment. But first, man, we had a, that was a crazy week for music business news. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> And, now, and you're going to tell me all about it. Well, so first story I want to talk about, Dave, I want to get your thought on this just in the clear uh-huh. and kind of get, you know, I'll ask you sort of a philosophical question. Oh, OK. Go ahead. Um, what is your view on how do you feel about people? Or, let me let me rephrase. Uh-huh. How do you feel about the idea that you should not speak ill of somebody right when they've died? I think it's a good rule to follow. Yeah. I mean, unless they're so horrible or something, you can't help it. Like, so, but, but, so there is a point, like there is a point where you might say like, if it's somebody really bad, then yes, it's okay to speak ill. Yeah. Why? Who do you got in mind? Well, because I, I, I used to share that view. In fact, I was probably more extreme. I would just say, look, just don't speak ill of anybody when they die. It just, you know, give it time, you know, while. Oh, I thought you were going to say, don't speak ill of anybody. Like wait, wait, rainbows till, and flowers. Wait till the body's cold or at least colder, but I'm going to make an exception here. Uh, oh on April 22nd, the New York Times reported that music executive, and really I put those two words in quotes, Lou Perlman has passed away. Do Lou, you mean, Do you mean August 22nd? What did I say, April? You said April. Yes, I meant August. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, on August 22nd, music executive Lou Perlman has died. The Lou Perlman of NSYNC, Backstreet Boys. Right? LFO. LFO. Oh. O-Town. Oh, God. And, like, a bunch of other ones. I uh, forgot about those those guys. Those other ones. Yeah. The tier three ones. The the boy bands that filled our teenage years with you know, the screams of girls in our middle school class. And crappy music. Yeah. <laughs> All brought to you by one Lou Perlman. Um, and... What was that? L- was it Summer Girls from that LFO? That's right. That like I like girls that, that wear, wear Abercrombie and Fitch. Fitch. Chinese food makes me. Oh my god! But I think it's fly. When, when girls stop by for the summer. summer for, for the oh summer. my god! Those guys were utter douchebags. <laughs> what crap was that? And that was Lou Pearlman too. That was Lou Pearlman. Speak your mind, Ryan. <laughs> See, that's funny because you because you're already like I'm anti Lou Pearlman. We're anti Lou Pearlman for different reasons. You're just mad at him because he has brought into this world music that you don't like. I have no problem with most of these bands. You know, in fact, you know, when I'm alone and, and, and judging eyes on around, I might be known to jam out to a Backstreet Boys song or two. Hey, listen, I had a Backstreet Boys album, too, right back then. That's fine. Whatever it is, what it like, is. We all made our youthful uh, yeah. indiscretions. Like, everybody's kind of a jam. I'm sorry. It just is. 
you know, but oh yeah, that one. Yeah, but I, I take guess, issue. I guess Justin Timberlake hit it big. But at you know, but at the risk of you know offending people who think you shouldn't speak ill of the dead, Lou Pearlman was a gelatinous sack of exploitative, hate-filled, awful, possible pedophile garbage. <laughs> it's, I'm sorry, and he's just not a good guy. And his death, and and hopefully in his death, the one thing that can come out positively from his existence is we can talk a little bit about his terrible life as a warning to other artists out there. Maybe we should just say his terrible business life. I feel like I I, I want to walk it back a little bit, but you're just no okay fine no, whatever. This no. guy no because this, this no because he's not just a corrupt business guy. All right, his tactics ruined not just the life of musicians but of many many people. And okay, maybe, just, maybe, maybe you know more than I do. Well, no, that's that's why we're like we're gonna walk through this guy's life so okay. that artists and others can sort of get a important warning of to stay away from people who will promise you they're gonna make you a success in the music right. industry and just sign anything they put in front of you. So taking it back in the 1970s, Lou Pearlman graduates from college. He immediately starts a bleep, blimp leasing business. Because when you're thinking, That's interesting. Yeah, because when you're thinking of like successful business ideas, blimps, blimps are where it's at. Anyway, um, all of his blimps pretty much crash. That's true. Like, oh. you know, his blimps crash, and so he starts up a uh, a penny stock called uh-huh. Airship International. Was, it, was anyone killed in these blimp crashes? I don't know. I don't oh. know if it was like a oh the humanity kind of situation, oh, okay. but he starts. You know, he start, You know, despite the, the 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 crashing of all his blimps, he starts up this business called Airship International as a penny stock. Mm-hmm. raises $3 million in a, what's called a pump and dump scheme. Mm-hmm. So raises $3 million and then sells, you know, sells the stock. Um, and then of course, you know, there's really no assets in the company. So the whole thing falls apart and all of the other investors are left holding the bag, mm-hmm. you know, a pump and dump scheme. He takes that $3 million that he made from this basically non-existent company, uh, gets himself a private jet, moves to Orlando he then moves on to his next scheme, founding Transcontinental Airlines, a fleet of planes that he owns, except he never actually owned them. He creates it. All right. So this is pretty spectacular. Like if he wasn't so evil, I would think this is amazing. He's basically so he's like made off before made off. Yes, okay. absolutely. <laughs> and, it, and in fact, like this, like what I'm about to tell you is so insane. Like they're going to make a movie about this. They're already making documentaries about his life, but this is going to be a movie because you would think I'm making this up. All right, he starts yeah. this company called Transcontinental Airlines, which is a fleet of jets, except he has no jets. Okay. What he does is he takes toy jets, like like little toys, mm-hmm. and photographs them at an angle to make them look like real jets. Like forced perspective sort of thing? Right. And then puts them... <laughs> exactly. And then puts them on his brochure and then goes to, like, retiree communities and gets, you know, retiree investors... To invest in oh his God. airline operation. And over the years, he then accumulates over $300 million in what eventually becomes a spectacular Ponzi scheme involving a bunch of jets that don't exist. Oh, my God. He then uses his jet fortune mm-hmm. or his, you know, his ill-gotten, you know, groundless Ponzi scheme fortune to found the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. And all. he puts out, you know, these these newspaper flyers Mm -hmm. in the Orlando Sentinel looking for teen boys who can carry a tune. And all of a sudden you get the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and he sinks a lot of money into these groups and eventually NSYNC and, you know, NSYNC Backstreet Boys, they become hits. Next he brings out LFO and he does the making the band show and he gets Mm O-Town. All the while he's continuing to get investors into this Ponzi scheme for jets that don't exist. Um, He builds a 200,000 square foot complex where he just has like a farm of, young teen boys all working <laughs> and like, you know, working on, you know, practicing their scales and working on dance moves and working in his office as employees. His, his wall of this complex mm-hmm. has fake gold records on it. Like he, uh. he just bought CDs at a store and like created fake gold records and he had gold records, but he wanted more of them. So he created fake ones. And, and so years go by the Backstreet Boys eventually start finding out that, hey, we're big stars, but we're not really making that much money. Uh, when all is said and done, each of the Backstreet Boys during the Perlman years made about $300,000, despite being, you know, by, you know, despite their, their albums going like diamond. in the late 90s, early 2000s? Yes, during the height of boy band Mania. They made... About say, 300 grand total. Oh, not each. Right. No, sorry, each, but like over the years. Oh, okay. 
compared to Lou Pearlman, who took in about tens of millions of dollars off of the Backstreet Boys brilliance. And so, and so this happened over and over. And eventually pretty much every single group that the back, that Lou Pearlman owned Mm -hmm. sued him for fraud. Right. Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, LFO, all sued him for fraud. And, you know, some of them settled out of court or they all settled out of court. And, you know, there were some undisclosed settlements and they all got free of Perlman, um, but not before they took a ton of money from him. And eventually we get to 2008. The whole thing comes apart. Uh, He pleads guilty to a decades long Ponzi scheme involving Transcontinental and the airlines in which the, you know, so this Ponzi scheme, which funded the boy bands Mm -hmm. and, you know, the whole thing comes apart because he pleads guilty and, you know, and the investors, all these retiree investors, these poor people get left with nothing. They're left holding the bank because he has no money left. So mm-hmm. And it's and, and the saddest part of it is that he never really learned his lesson. Because even while he was in jail, he was telling reporters, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a comeback. Uh, you know, I got the next big artist that's gonna come and be here. Meanwhile, he's in jail for twenty he was gonna be in jail for twenty five years. And he even asked, like, as he was being sentenced, Mm -hmm. he even asked the judge in that Ponzi scheme case after he pleaded guilty if he could if he could be afforded Internet access for two days a week and be have access to a phone line so that he could start he could work another boy band group because he said, that's how I'm going to pay. I'm going to pay everybody back, Your Honor. Just let me have the Internet and I'll and and the judge is like, what the hell are you talking about? Right. You were going well, to rot in jail. So wait, did he die in prison? He died in prison. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, he re- yeah. Uh, so he was so he he got sentenced in two thousand eight, and he was in jail for a while, and now he died. I feel like I don't remember this back from two thousand eight. I feel like I should have that the, the the fact that he got thrown in jail. Yeah. Um. Well, by then he didn't really have any artists left, and yeah. So I mean, obviously, like yeah, we all remember Madoff, but obviously this is sort of just as bad. Yeah. I mean, not in terms of the monetary scale, but still, I mean, it's a pretty you know wow. Yeah. And so, and so wow. what, what, what's funny about his whole, I mean, really his whole legacy mm-hmm. is just bringing nothing to the table and just taking from everyone. You know, this guy stole money from musicians despite having no musical talent or business expertise. He mm-hmm. stole money from investors in the airline industry, but despite not knowing anything about airlines or even owning any planes, and just yeah. You know, so everything was just I'm going to give nothing. I'm going to take yeah. everything. And with those horrible manager contracts. Yeah. And and so and all of the deals that he mm. gave were like these super exploitative. I'm taking 98 cents off the dollar with these artists. And and it's and he's just and and I know I don't want to you know you know you shouldn't speak ill of the dead, but I I just see him as somebody who is just completely devoid of any redeeming quality that's worth bringing up. Like I think even. It was either Justin Timberlake or Lance Bass put out a tweet saying, like, along the lines of, look, I know he did some bad things, but, you know, rest in peace. Well, no, I think Justin Timberlake said, I hope he was able to find some peace. Find some, like, he, I mean, he, he, he took the high road. That's an incredible amount of character that I am not capable of. Apparently not. Um, you have just. Uh, well, because you, you know how I feel about people who exploit artists. And it's tenfold when I think about all these innocent people who were unwitting investors in right. this, you know, fake airplane scheme. And but they did become investors in InSync. I mean, except they didn't make any money off the InSync franchise. Right. But they get to pat themselves on the back and say, hey, remember when we saw Justin Timberlake do that funny sketch on SNL bring it on down to Omeletteville? We made that happen. <laughs> Maybe they can take some solace. Yes, in that. that's the solace you can take. Oh my God! Hey, and remember Dick in a Box? We did that. We did that. Yeah, yeah. Well, hands across America for that. And, you know, last last thing on this. Just what Lou Pearlman teaches us is something that we talk about in this podcast all the time, which is be careful with who you get into bed with as an artist. I mean, mm-hmm. figuratively, of course, but literally too. If anybody approaches you as an artist and says that they are going to take you to the top they're going to be your fast track past the paying of your dues and the climbing up the mountain mm-hmm. they're almost assuredly going to under deliver on their guarantee i, I just say run away just right. run, run away. away stranger danger run away exactly find an adult because well two things are going to happen either one they're going to under deliver and you're not going to become famous or two maybe they do get you to the top but they're going to take 99 and a half cents out of every dollar yeah. to get you there like lou perlman took i mean i don't know if you can credit him for it but they got to the top with Lou Pearlman's support yeah. and got no money and were exploited. And, you know, that's just not the way to do it. And so 
really what happens, and if you if you want to be optimistic about this and say, hey, okay, maybe somebody will take, maybe he will take me to the top and he'll treat me right. If you get that opportunity, have them show you a contract, bring in a lawyer, and have the lawyer explain to you why this is a terrible, terrible contract. And, yeah. be, you know, because first of all, if they really believed in you, it wouldn't just be a contract in which they were your manager and they take all the money. It'd be a business partnership. Like, hey, let's start a company together. We're going to be 50-50 members in an LLC. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're going to contribute the labor as the artist. I'm going to contribute the capital as the rich guy. And you'll do it together. But if they're not willing to do that, then you know that this isn't about building your career. It's about exploiting you. Right. And, you know, whether it's whether it's Lou Perlman or whether it's any of these other cases that we hear about, like, be careful of the Svengali who's going to uh, bring you to the top. So anyway, that's yeah. that's Lou Perlman. Uh, he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. And you know, I don't, I usually don't get like say controversial things, but you know, or speak ill of the dead, but he's just everything that's wrong with the music business. That's uh, all right, man. We got Bobby Ausinski coming up next. Keep listening to the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time. My new book, Break the Business Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business podcast. He is a celebrated musician, producer, and author based out of Los Angeles, California. He has written 23 books about the music industry, including his recently released Music 4.1, a survival guide for making music in the internet age. He also blogs on his The Big Picture and Music 3.0 sites and podcasts on the Bobby Ausinski's Inner Circle program. You can find out more about his many terrific projects by visiting bobbyausinski.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Bobby Ausinski is here on the Break the Business podcast. Thank you for having me, Oh, thank you so much for joining us, Bobby. uh, You're a producer. You have multiple books. You have multiple blogs. You're a podcaster. You do everything. I'm pretty sure the only thing you don't do is sleep. Are you just tired all the time? How did you know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hey, it's nothing that six more hours in a day couldn't fix. Oh, God, couldn't we all benefit from six more hours in the day? I sort of envision you walking around with just an IV full of just very strong dark coffee that's just being constantly injected into your veins at all hours of the day. (laughs) Not quite like that, but uh, I work a lot. But honestly, I don't look at it as work. It's fun. I wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun. Well, uh, you must be doing a lot of fun things. And let me start with a selfish question just for me. Uh, Hang on a second, listeners out there. This one's for me. I've written one book, one, and it was really hard. I may (laughs) never write a book again because writing books is so hard. You, by contrast, have written 23 I'm impressed by people who've read 23 books. Uh, How on earth have you found the time for all this? It's actually more than 23 because there's two or three out of the industry that I've done, plus uh, second, third, and fourth editions. So if you total it all up, I've gone through the process uh, over 40 times. Yeah, Uh, because if it was 23, you'd be a slacker. I should should, uh, (laughs) give you credit where credit's due. 40 books. The only only reason why I bring that up is... I thought exactly the same thing after my first book, and I think everybody has the same reaction, and that's, I will never do this again. Too many brain cells died in the process. (laughs) And I felt exactly the same way, but luckily my initial book, The Mixing Engineer's Handbook, sold very well, and my publisher would not relent in getting me to do a second one. And that was a little bit easier, but then when the second one had basically the same results in sales, then it was, well, let's do number three. And then by that time, I sort of got in the swing of things and I got a method and how to do it. And at that point, it got way easier. And I've used that same method ever since. And it turns out to be, for me anyway, a great method on the creation process, regardless of what it is that I'm doing. So, um, 
And I know you're going to ask, okay, what is that? Uh, well, no, I already know. The method's not sleeping. You've made that abundantly clear. <laughs> well, well, see, what it is is I think everybody in the creation process, and it doesn't matter if you're an artist or, you know, in a band, a songwriter, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing that happens. You tend to try to get things perfect right away. And when it isn't perfect, then you think, oh, I suck. Oh, this is bad. Or you have quite the opposite reaction. Oh, this is so good. I'm not going to change it. Well, I've I developed the, the method, again, that works for me. It's a three-step process. And the first process Hang is... Hang on, let me get a I'm, pen. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm writing a blog, if I'm writing a book, if, I, if I'm working on a song, regardless, doesn't matter. The very first pass is stream of consciousness. And I don't worry about... Well, in the case of writing, I don't worry about any kind of grammar or spelling, or any of that. I just get it on paper. And then the second pass, which has to be on a, another day, a completely different day, so there's some time away from it, then that I refine it, and I turn everything into paragraphs and kind of bang it into shape. And then the third day, third pass, is pretty much the polishing, where I go back and I kind of look at the with, you know, very focused eyes. And I may take a fourth or fifth pass as well, but by that time, I don't go any more than that because it just gets different. It doesn't get better. But that method has been very successful for me, again, in all types of creative walks because, you know, again, I, I learned how to do this quickly. And, um, it, you know, again, it, it's, it works for me. I'm not so sure it works for other people, but, you know, we all have to find our way on these things. And, and it took me way too long to find my <laughs> way on it. Well, we're glad that you have garnered all the insight you have garnered by writing all these books over your career in the music business. And we're really happy to have you sharing that insight with us. And your timing on the show actually couldn't be better. Uh, since this is a podcast for indie musicians, I was thrilled that you recently recorded an episode of your Inner Circle podcast where you talked about DIY artists and whether musicians need record labels. It was, it was terrific, by the way. And in that episode, you said, and I'm going to try to get the quote about right here, now is a great time to be in the business as an artist. You don't need a label to do much anymore. Can you talk a bit about why that's the case in this day and age? Well, thank you for the compliment, first of all. And I'm very pleased that you found it found that comment to, to work for you. Um, for the most part, we all know that there's plenty of tools out there for artists. And if you're willing to spend the time and do the work, and, and that's kind of the key, all of those tools make it possible for you to be creative, to create your product, to market your product, and to distribute your product without any outside help. Now, the caveat there is the fact that you have to want to do the work or be able to do that work. And many musicians, many artists, many bands, let's face it, it's a lot more fun to just create the stuff <laughs> than it is to market it and or distribute it or go through any of that other hard work. And if that's the case, then you're, you're better off to have outside help. And you really want, at that point, an indie label. But if you can do it yourself and the tools are available, then now's a great time to be able to do that. And not only... Well, the, the big thing with this is if you can pull that off and you can achieve some level of, of success, what that does is it puts you in a much better situation later when it becomes time to actually negotiate with a, a record label because then you have some juice behind you. Right, then, you have some leverage yeah. if it if you yeah. do want to go that route. You can get some concessions in that negotiation that you wouldn't have been able to get otherwise. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, the thing about it is everybody thinks that record labels are going to be replaced, and they're not, especially the major labels, because no matter what, you really need that infrastructure that they have if you want to become anything other than a star, so to speak. If you want to go to that next level after you've achieved a, you know, a certain amount of, of uh, stardom is a bad word, of popularity, you really need that major label infrastructure. And there's no way to recreate that cheaply and easily or else people would have done it already. 
Well, it's interesting that you bring up recreating the major record label infrastructure because it reminds me of something else you brought up in that uh, podcast uh, about specifically uh, superstar indie hip-hop artists Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. And you talked about how they were able to achieve considerable career success independently and in doing, and they were able to do that by sort of borrowing that label infrastructure that you spoke about uh, and using it while still being able to achieve success on their own terms. Can you talk about how they were able to structure their operation to achieve the success they have? Well, they're not the only ones. There's quite a number now. I mean, so much so that the, all the major labels and the major indies have created what they call label services, which basically means, hey, all of our infrastructure is available to you on a on a per uh, per need basis. So basically, if you want to pay for radio promotion or you want to pay for distribution, you can now get it. You can get it, get what they're doing, but it costs you dough. So you have to have some level of success or at least some deep pockets someplace to help you with that. But that's exactly what they did. Now, they were an exceptional case because they already had a lot of things going for them correctly. They already had number one hits on iTunes anyway. And they had a hot album that had just hit number one. So all labels wanted them to sign with them. And they basically did the smart thing by saying, nah, I don't think we're going to do that. And instead they basically said, how about we do a partnership deal and you get 5%. Yeah, they had, and, they had so much juice. They could actually convince labels to take the back end of the deal instead of having to pay for things up front. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. So it, it was almost really sort of, on their part. It was almost sort of a reverse of a traditional label artist relationship where it's, you know, we'll pay you the royalty label for all the things that you're going to do, and we're going to own our master rights, and we're going to control the project. It was a pretty interesting story to hear you talk about it. Yeah. Um, in the, um, so you've been, you've been in the game for a long time. You've, you've musician, producer. You have surely come across many DIY artists in your career. And as you've observed them all trying to move their careers forward, what mistakes do you think today's DIY artists tend to make most frequently in their activities? Well, they tend to get hung up on one thing or another, either not being able to do uh, uh, take a crucial step and either... Sometimes what they'll do is they'll hit that crucial step and they'll stop. And sometimes they just can't get over it for whatever reason. So, I mean, that, that's a big part of it. The other thing is sometimes they'll just kind of give up before, you know, right on the cusp of success when they can just push a little bit further. And, and let's face it, everybody has that, that point where you say, oh, this isn't worth it anymore. But the ones that I've always found, and this is in all parts of the music business, the ones that have always made it at least to the level of making a living from it are the ones that have always stuck it out and the ones that have always kept on going regardless of the good and the bad and the failures. And, you know, it's a big part of it, being able to pick yourself up after a failure and keep going. And, and that's crucial in the business. It really is, because if you can't do that, you're going to end up doing a nine to five job, just the opposite of what people you know join this business to do so you know you have to have that thick skin you have to develop it and it's tough and so and you speak of persistence and you said that for many artists that they tend to give up right when they're on the precipice of of hitting it big well what seems to be the precipice um or at least hitting, it, you know hitting a break if, if you yeah will. yeah you know and again you look at them and you think ah oh, so close just hang in there just a little bit more or else just please take this one step here by yourself and sometimes what it is is just taking control of the marketing a little bit taking control of the social media taking control of the distribution and instead they'll they'll kind of let someone else take control of those things where they don't have the vested interest that the artist has but again most artists don't want to do that most artists, although uh, what I found, and you probably found the same thing, I'm sure, is the artists that really tend to jump levels and tend to be successful are the ones that take control of their career and they look at all aspects of it. And even if they farm pieces of it out, they're always looking at it. And it's rare that you find an artist that just cedes all control to someone else. 
and and becomes a success. Now they may become a success for a certain point, but boy, things change quickly in the business. And and if you're not on top of it, it goes away fast. That's true. And I'd even go as far to say that the most successful DIY artists that I've come across find a way to make those business tasks, the so the social media stuff, the marketing stuff, they tend to see the creativity in those things and use their creative minds to make those interesting creative projects as opposed to just grunt work that's a means to an end. You know, and it's cool to watch like these very creative people come up with very creative YouTube campaigns or Facebook and Twitter campaigns and things like that. And that's where it can be really fun to watch some of these artists. I agree. I agree. And again, we've both seen it where the ones that that really take control in that area. And again, you, you don't have to do everything yourself. And it's probably not a good thing if you do. But the ones that at least take control of it and drive the bus are the ones that tend to jump levels when they need to. Why do you think some artists are reluctant to take that control? Is it fear? Is it lack of knowledge? Is it time? Perhaps a little bit of everything. Yeah, I think a little bit of everything when it comes down to it. But, you know, most of it has to do with the fact that it's the music business. But most musicians, artists, bands would just want to concentrate on the easy part, the fun part, which is music. And the ones that do find the business part kind of fun, kind of interesting, those are the ones that, you know, tend to have that kind of success. But it's not something that comes natural to most people. So, you know, I, and, yeah. and I know myself, you know, I, I was always in that camp where the last thing I want to do is business. And, you know, eventually you find that, well, look, if I want to get to a certain goal, I have to pay attention to this at least. No, uh, it makes perfect sense. And um, so for the artists who want to learn more, who who are hearing this message of taking control of these operations of you know embracing the fun in these business aspects uh what sort of websites and blogs including your own of course uh do you think are helpful for indie artists to read to learn more about the industry what would you recommend there's tons of great blogs out there one of the the this is kind of a newer one and it's one I like a lot but it's on a much higher level, higher industry level, and it's uh, Music Business Worldwide yes. out of the UK. Yes. And I think it's only been around for a year or two that I've been aware of it, but it's it's always really good material. It's always um, well-written. And, again, it kind of gives you a, a broad overview because it, it is on a higher level than a DIY, although much of it does you know uh, apply as well. So that one I like a lot. Um, there's also a lot of really good courses. Dave Kusek has a good course. Um, he calls it, uh, new artists, new artists. I can't think of, of what it is. It's NAM. I forget what the M stands for, but it, it's a really good course. Dave Kusek. Um, Rick Barker is another one. Oh, Rick yeah. Barker was, uh, Taylor Swift's former manager and he has some really good material, and he has a good day-to-day community as well that's very strong. Those are some just, you know, off the top of my head. Of course, uh, all the stuff from Ariel Hyatt is great. Um, leaning more on the social media side, but it's something you need to know about. It's important, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, there, there's a lot of, of really good material out there. Um, occasionally there's, there's really good stuff from uh, CD baby from their blog. Oh yeah. DIY so, musician blog. Uh, yeah. that's a good one. Yeah. Um, and so speaking of social media, uh, how can people find you on social media if they want to keep the conversation going and how can people find some of the many, many things that you've, uh, written and created? Well, from Bobby you can get everything from there. You can get to the blogs, you can get to the social media, you can get to see some excerpts from my book, books, podcasts, <laughs> all, all those things. And, Very and it's kind of the cent- central <laughs> hub, so you can get anywhere that you need to contact me from there. Terrific. And that's uh, O-W-S-I-N-S-K-I. Uh, so uh, before we let you go, and this has been a pleasure, and you're so 
you know, experienced on this stuff that we'd definitely like to have you on again. Uh, are there any uh, final tips that you would share with the indie artists out there? Uh, one more opportunity to have the listeners benefit from your experience? Well, I think what I said before, just to reiterate it and to reinforce it, persistence is the key in this business. And if you're thinking of uh, making a living is the new success, they would say. If you're in it to be a star, to be famous, maybe there's a better career choice that you have. Maybe you'll be lucky and it'll happen. But for the most part, all the people that are in it are really passionate and really, they, they love music and they'll do anything just to stay in music and, and make that their livelihood. So making a living is a new success. And the way that happens is to be persistent. Even if you have to work for nothing in the beginning, and let's face it, we all do. We all work for nothing or very little money. And sometimes it takes a few years to break through or longer than you might think. But the people that are into it do it gladly and are very happy to. So uh, what I've known from everybody that I started out with, you don't necessarily end up where you think you will because I started with a I don't know how many musicians, we all started as musicians and we all ended up in other aspects of the business and have been successful in other aspects of the business. But it was only because that, you know, we hung in there and didn't become insurance agents or anything like that (laughs) along the way, which is, you know, a temptation sometimes to do some other things. And I got to say, I did that sort of, you know, at one point in my life, I should say, I became... The, I kind of worked my way up to the international sales manager for an English console company called Amec. And I was very successful with it. And I could have stayed there for forever, really, because I was starting to get comfortable. And one morning I get up and I looked in the mirror and it dawned on me. It was, I, what am I doing? This is not who I am. And I quit. And I took a big hit in the pocketbook a real big hit. And it took me several years to recover. But you know what? It was the right decision because eventually it led me to do things that I was really happy about doing. I couldn't wait to get to every day. It's still like that every day. And I don't think that would be the case if I was still doing that. So all I can say is uh, you have to kind of look deep down inside and say, "Hmm, do I want to do this? And if you do, then you got to keep on doing it. Well, we're really glad you did do it. Uh, Bobby, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on with us. My pleasure, Ryan. Thank you. We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. If you like the show, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to reach out to us, shoot us an email at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Bobby Ausinski for joining us in the previous segment. You can find out more about the many, many, many terrific book and podcast and blog projects he's doing by visiting bobbyausinski.com. That's O-W-S-I-N-S-K-I. How was Minnesota, man? Last week you left us on this cliffhanger that you were going to be in the snake pit for the Metallica show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had uh, my... uh... Metallica in Minneapolis trip, mm-hmm. which was amazing, dude. That's wonderful. It was, so freaking it was awesome. everything you wanted it to be. Oh, my God. Yes, absolutely. So got there Friday. Actually, I was able to see uh, one of my old college friends. Um, I haven't seen her in a while. Uh, actually got to meet her, uh, her, her newborn, well, relatively newborn daughter. Uh, that's good to see your husband. We, we did some good stuff. But then also got to go see my Metallica buddies, my friends that I haven't seen since Quebec City last year. Went to the pop-up store. I missed James Hetfield, though. I missed uh, seeing James and uh, Robin Lars. They showed up. Metallica did a pop-up store. Do you, do you know about these things? These pop-up stores, pop-up things. Everything's now pop-up, pop-up, no, pop-up, pop-up. Pop-up? No, it was like you almost like channeled like Kramer from Seinfeld there. Yeah, See, everything's popped up now, Jerry. Pop-up, pop-up. Pop, pop. Exactly. Pop-up. This pop-up. That pop-up. This pop-tarts. Oh my God, the pop. I can't pop. Right? There's too much popping. Too much popping. Well, now, so now you're going into George Costanza. Yeah, so, 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 like, <laughs> I'm not gonna pop. Not going to pop, Ryan. All right. So what are pop-ups? Apparently, just stores, diners, restaurants, what have you, that just pop up. 
for a limited time in a otherwise empty space and move on. Oh, so, like the Star Wars thing, you, the Star Wars canteen yeah, you like talked last about week. last week. Yeah, so this was just a pop-up store for the weekend. So Friday, no, not, yeah, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That was it. Actually, not even Sunday. And so what does, that, what, does, what does that have to do with seeing James Hetfield? Was he oh, supposed to be there? Well, apparently he, he went by. He, he stopped by because also, I guess, the local Minneapolis, I guess, rock station, 93X or whatever. I guess apparently cities still have FM rock stations. Not bad. You know, Miami doesn't have so one, he's, I don't think. So they're the one. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the guys holding down the flag. Um, <laughs> and so this was like a pop-up store that sold Metallica stuff? Yeah, yeah merchandise. Okay, you know, gotcha, some shirts gotcha, and everything. Gotcha. I got like a limited edition poster. You got some uh, shirt. Got a, got a uh, tour shirt before like it was available to everyone else. Got a nice sweatshirt, which actually helped because then it was friggin' raining and cold Saturday morning. Although I did have my poncho. Although it was a Miami Hurricanes poncho and I felt bad I had to leave it out on the street because you don't bring anything with you. Just whatever you have sort of with you when you're waiting. Because here's the thing. So... I like woke up like at 6.45 a.m. Saturday. Goodness. So, so I ended up getting in line. I stand in line at 8 a.m. Doors open at 4 p.m. Because you, you wanted like a good spot in the pit? Yeah, bro. Yeah. You got you to gotta get there, man. Okay? You got to get there. I've got, I do GA. And if you want to be at the rail, you got to get there early. There's no like, oh, you know, we'll get there when we get there. No. That means you're in the back. All right? That's, that's what amateurs do. I'm not an amateur. Are you an? Am- you feel like an amateur. You feel like a total amateur. You feel like a guy that would get there right as they start playing and like, oh wow, this is interesting. I'm not the kind of guy who's going to go to a show that's general admission. Like, I want to have a seat where I can sit. Yeah. Because I'm not going to be on time. I'm not the on time to any social event guy. Like my whole work life is all about having to be places on time. If it's a if it's a fun activity like i'm not about to have to be do anything on a schedule so yeah I'm, I'm if i'm going to a concert i'm probably going to be showing up halfway through the opening act okay but okay but you're okay and, you're and i'll be there in time there. for the headliner okay because people that actually show up halfway through a headliner those people are the worst people ever oh no why would you do that because they're idiots because you actually want to see the headliner I, I know but people have whatever issues they have especially here in miami where everyone's just like late yeah well, that's just Miami. Yeah, I know. But anyway, so yeah, I get there at 8 a.m., camp out. You know, not camping out. We're just, just hanging out, whatever. Got my uh, snack bars with me and everything, talking to some people. Yeah, provisions. People. You know, yeah, yeah. You end up talking to people. There's these younger dudes from Wisconsin that drove over and everything. Um, what? We're like a minute in, and I can already tell. I'm not glazing. I can tell your eyes are looking at anywhere else to start looking for something else. Just one minute in, you son of a bitch. Look, you can get mad all you want. I heard every word of that. Now, do you want to finish your story, or can I continue my nap? I hate you. Come on, keep going. One year, no more. Oh, um, no, I'm I'm actually quite interested in your experience. Okay, you know, so pit. yeah, so you know, we we get in there, and yeah, we. If I didn't have snake pit, I would have been in the rail. But anyway, me and my uh, my friend Valerie that I gave my plus one to on the snake pit, we um we get there, we we like we're we're freaking there. I hit the thing, um, <laughs> right, dude. We get there and it's like, oh my god, we're here! We're we're like the fifth ones into the snake pit, and it's like we get right up at the rail, and it's just like, oh my god, the stage is right there. It's like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, we're freaking out, you know. And you know, time passes, and you know, cause we're there like around four o'clock. So we still we still have two hours just for the opening band, Volby. Volby, great opening act, by the way, All really right. good band. They should have definitely been a higher opening act over Avenged Sevenfold. I know you've heard of them at least. I have heard of Avenged Sevenfold. Yeah, yeah, Can't I, they're still around. Wow. I, you know, I'll be honest. I usually try to get into opening acts. I'm not just. I'm not one of these persons that, that's just kind of like. I, I'm not. I'm not giving you anything. I don't care about you and your performance, man. I'm waiting for the opener. It's like no. If you're a good band, I'm going to give you some energy, right? I'm going to participate in your show. Yeah. I want to let you know I'm having a good time. If you want me to sing along in certain sections that I know, I'll do that. Or give me some hey, 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 that sort of stuff. Yeah. Whatever. I'll headbang. I'll do that stuff. You're I'll, an aficionado of things that rock, regardless of source. Exactly. Volbeat was great. Avenge Sevenfold, though. I had like no desire to like care. About they didn't them. do it for you. They didn't do it for me. No. And apparently, also reports were from uh, Metallica family members in the crowd on the rail. Uh, crowd was a little bit rowdy. Uh, also, maybe because a lot of them were like these Avenged fans that were younger and whatever. And again, amateurs. Some people just don't know how to behave. You're allowed. You're allowed to have fun. You're allowed. It, it, it's a freaking metal show. That's great. Doesn't mean you have to be a douchebag to people. And you know the laws of physics are in operation, right? Two people can't operate the same space at the same time. It just doesn't work. So if you're in your space and the other person's in their space, oh, that's too bad. Sorry. You know, 
we're not in some sort of Q is not going to come down and like, you know, snap his fingers and do something to create new new time and dimensions. Are you becoming like old rock show guy? No, like I'm, you're you're one step away from like sitting in a chair and some guy standing up in the rock show and you're like, sit down. People are trying to watch oh, the no, show. No, 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 no. Fudge those people that sit at shows. Those people are like the worst people known to life. You know, you're ruining it for everyone. No, no, no. It's just, you know, when you're there, don't be a drunk, belligerent a-hole. That's what the, that's the, that's the problem is you get so blitzed. These guys in line actually got to the point where an ambulance was called for them. Oh, my goodness. Because they had to get fluids. I don't even sure if they ever made it in or if they were just never allowed in. But, Ryan, that means if they were there in line with us for the general mission, that means they paid one hundred and seventy five dollars for that ticket. And we heard them talking about how they came from the West Coast, Ryan. That means they had to fund travel and hotel and stay for this trip. And they got so freaking drunk that they couldn't maybe even go in. And even if they did get in, they wouldn't remember any of exactly. this thing that they wanted to pay a lot of money for. Those are the amateurs I rail against. Okay? That's bad form. I kind of want to do a segment. Maybe we'll do this in like a couple weeks where just you give us a list of rules for rock show etiquette. And listen, I know what you're saying, man. Like, There's no rules in metal. But there's, you know, we're all having to have a good time. And you being a drunk person trying to start fights isn't part of a good time. Are, are you saying, Ryan, you're a fight starter? Me? No. Are you a fight starter, Ryan? Are you a drunken fight no, starter? No, I'm even worse than that. I'm the guy that you hate more. I'm the guy who wants to sit for the entire show because I'm too old to stand up. Well, you and the drunken fight starter have some problems. I know. You two need to have I'm on the out. other side of people yeah. you hate. Anyway, the whole point, Metallica, they were fucking awesome, dude. Um... I just like, wow, man. Just wow. Yeah, snake bit. Because I was there and it was so close and everything. And James made eye contact with me at the end of the night, Ryan. He looked at me, Ryan. Ryan, he did. And Valerie said no. She was looking at me. And then uh, one of my new friends in the back, like, he said, like, oh, looking at us. I'm like, ah, me. Yeah. me. Me. Me, 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 He even threw you a wink. Oh, yeah. And his number. Anyway. Yeah, and a little. Yeah. I, I wish. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. <laughs> I know. There's no jokes here. I know you're not joking. It's James Hetfield. <laughs> Come on, man. I'd do anything for that guy. Um, <laughs> great show. I caught. I caught two picks. Um, it was streaming on Pandora. Did you? Did you listen to it, Ryan? Um, I already know the answer to that. No. I know, and I, and I and I kind of am afraid to say no because. Metal Dave last week was very clear about me making sure that I streamed the show. You, on and, I are, you and I are very different when it comes to music. You don't say. And live music. You don't say. I will say this. Like I just, I just confessed earlier about jamming out to everybody by the Backstreet Boys. I, I do know though that in in, in the next month when I'm going to be going over to Southern California for the Ozfest meets Notfest. See there, that's the point where I'm, I'm girding myself. I am girding. Girding, there's yes. there's, there's some there's some gird happening. I'm girding my loins for because I do have the pit pass for that festival, and I know that is going to get rough, and that's cool. I when, when I know it's coming, that, that that's fine. Whatever, I get myself up for it. You'll you know? brace for impact. You brace for impact, and you, you get ready to give some back. All right, that that's cool. That's fine. You know, so th- that'll be that. So you're gonna mosh. If if you're in the pit, you're in the pit. Really. So, like, are you a mosh pit guy? Are you going to, like, get in there and, like... Well, that's what I'm saying. If it forms around you, then you got to go. You got to... You can't stand still. You got to go. You can't, like, leave the pit like, no thanks, guys. I'm I mean, just here can, to enjoy you, some tunes. You can try, but, you know. But, like, you'll throw yourself into somebody. Like, you'll 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 get involved. Yeah, I mean, especially... And we'll see. We'll, definitely we'll see, because this will be pretty interesting, this show coming up. So, I'm, I'm actually interested to see how I'm going to act. But, again, it won't be in a drunken stupor. Like these amateurs. Amateurs. And apparently also the biggest amateurs of all were the night before. Um, Luke Bryan was there also. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so apparently like, the report's like, oh, yeah. Everyone said like they ran out of concession and beer. And it's like, one, like who gives a crap? We're there on the floor to have fun. If you wait down there and you're going, oh, hey, guys, we need a hot dog and a beer. Just get the fuck out of here, dude. Get out of here. You don't belong here. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> also, like the sound sucks, which is probably maybe just more. Because the sound was great metallic. So I just think it's probably just <laughs> Luke Bryan. Um <laughs> And uh, apparently, yeah, his fans' reports were all coming from the city that those people just were drunk and belligerent and just a-holes in hotels and everything. And it's like, see, man, everyone thinks metal fans are like the worst people imaginable. We're the nicest. We're the best. Those other guys, they're the jerkwads. I was putting country music on blast. Yep. I don't like it. (laughs) Well, I think I mean, there are a high percentage of blondes that like it, which I guess is my own selfish interest. Maybe I should listen to it. But I don't. 
<laughs> I I am sort of waiting for like the you know you know if you start dating some blonde who's into Luke Bryan and then you have to like let try to hide this episode from her. Oh, this is this will not be hid. What? No, there's no hiding. Oh yeah. All right. So no, middle date is not. And by the way, oh the best part about at the end of the night, dude. Yeah. All of a sudden, like we took this great like sort of family photo, like the the club people that like got there. We, we, I posted uh, on the line and everything. Just it's a whole group photo in Minnesota. And all of a sudden, my friends kind of start like running before. He's like, oh my God, he's here. I'm like, what? What? And they said, like, Ray, Ray. Ray Burton, Ryan, is the father of uh, former Metallica bassist Cliff Burton. Oh, yes. Cliff Burton, who uh, died tragically in September 1986 on, in that Bucks accident, I think, in Sweden. Um, he, he was killed. And, you know, it was sort of, it's one of those things that Metallica, Metallica metal fans, I mean, it's this reverence for Cliff because he was such an amazing guy, an amazing bassist, but also just his compositions, everything he's done musically, and just, he was just an amazing guy. His father has stuck around the band for many things, is there a lot, at a lot of shows and a lot of promos, and there's a lot of things sort of like for the family and everything. I got to meet Ray Burton. And you got to, and you recognized him right away? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I saw him like, oh my God, that is Ray Burton. Because I've seen him online on all these things and everything. Mm-hmm. And I got a picture with him. I just, well, first of all, I said like, Mr. Burton, oh my God. You know, I sort of gave him this whole little, I gave him a little spiel about like, you know, what an amazing man he is and how much grace he shows and he's an inspiration. And I made sure I asked him to, because people were taking pictures. I said, hey, would it be okay if I get a picture? Okay. So I, I want to be nice. So I got it. And he, he throws up the metal horns, which is great. Nice. Yeah. You, yeah. You've seen this, right? Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. I, yeah. And I tweeted I that out. I retweeted it. I tweeted it out. Well, and thank you for retweeting it, Ryan. You are one of 103 retweets. Wow. And 823 likes currently. Wow. It's my most amazing tweet. Metallica retweeted it, the official account. Well, that must have been crazy for you. I, I mean, now that I know about this whole view tweet activity thing, it's amazing. Like 130,000 impressions, 6,500 engagements. Woo! I mean... It has blown you out of the water. Oh yeah, I've never had a tweet anything close to that. Kind it's of it's so amazing like, when I see it come in because I remember I tweeted this before getting on the plane to go from Minneapolis to Dallas on my way back home, and I get off and turn the thing off airplane mode. I'm kind of like, what? <laughs> oh, so like you didn't? So like you had your phone off like while many much of this was coming in, and yes. then you just came back when you turned your phone back on when the plane landed. Your phone just exploded. Yes. Oh I was kind of like, oh, my God. <laughs> so it did that thing where, like, it stopped telling you how many notifications you had because it was basically too many to count. Yeah, there's a lot of that. I had to do a lot of mass deleting on my emails for uh, <laughs> that sort of stuff. Oh, because you still have it set to where you get emailed every time you get a Twitter notification. Yeah. Oh, dear God. Yeah, I got to change that. Today. Oh, my goodness gracious. That must have been that. a nightmare for you. Yeah, yeah. So, so I got some new followers and everything. That's pretty cool. So that, that was just, it was an amazing trip. I got to see my friends. And we're all kind of like, we're, we talked at the end of the night on Saturday. I didn't get back to my hotel room until 2 a.m you know like all right next when the because you know the, the, the album's announced and then the tour comes next year hopefully north america and the united states I think they said it will we all got to see shows together we all gotta you know pick some shows and we're all gonna go so absolutely amazing experience man can't wait till next year show number six was amazing definitely got to go see them at least four times next year to get to that number 10 and uh a lot of good stuff man I'm, that was great stuff i'm thrilled for you that's Thank you. that's that's awesome man and and congratulations on your super impressive tweet that I imagine probably brought in a few extra podcast listeners for us. So that's kind of cool. I hope so. I actually never even thought about it. Yeah. Oh, that's right. We do this show. You yeah. Want, you know, oh. we, we have this thing that we're trying to put out and trying to promote. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Did I eat up a lot of too much time with this thing? Uh, you want a time check? I want a time check. Uh, you've, and we, don't edit it out. Oh, yeah. No, no. This is going to be... Uh, we, you're about 15 minutes in. Ooh. I didn't segment. think I was going to speak so much. Well, but you, I can't. When, I'm when you get going Metallica. on Metallica, I understand exactly. Oh, they, they played. They played the new song, Hardwired, uh, Hardwired, uh, as the uh, the first song in the encore. So that was pretty cool. That is cool. That, it was great to hear live. It was really good and just bang on and everything. Man, it was just so awesome, dude. I feel sorry for you that you've never had this sort of experience in your life, and nothing you do will ever come close. <laughs> Damn. Why can't you just why can't you just have a happy moment? Why does every time you have a happy moment it has to be okay? How can I make Ryan feel bad about this happy moment I've had? I'm happy for you. Like I'm I'd not like your, to, I'm I, not your enemy here. I'd I'm like glad to, you had a good time. I'd like to point out I actually have invited you to think every single thing I've ever done over the last few years. I'm not a, I'm not a big Metallica fan. I know, but just everything, you know, the Yosemite for my birthday, whatever. Oh, I'm not outdoorsy goes whitewater after me with his wife. Um, you know, LA for the Podfest and everything. Like, oh no, I've got to reorganize my chatch keys, you know. I do love reorganizing my chatskis. Oh yeah. 
That, oh, yeah, I got to count all the cigarettes to make sure they're still there. All my Chinese <laughs> cigarettes. <laughs> um, anyway, that was that. What else is going on today? Well, let's see. Uh, well, now we got to do some triage because that went way over time. And now we got to figure out what to cut. And like I see in there, we got like VMAs. You want to talk about VMAs? Can well, we just, can we just? Well, I just found it weird. I'm like, when I saw on Twitter, like, oh, that's tonight. And I'm like, that exists still? Yeah, VMA is still very much a thing. I, I still don't understand how. Why? Because, I don't know, I feel like there's no music videos around. I'm not seeing music videos, and you said they're on the internet. Right. Well, that like that's a common misconception that, oh, you know, music videos aren't a thing anymore. They're very much a thing. In fact, they're probably bigger now than they've ever been. They're just not happening on television. And, you know, they're all on the internet. And the internet has brought music videos back. And I hear this complaint all the time from people in our generation. Oh, you know, why doesn't MTV play videos anymore? Like, they yeah. should just, why aren't they just a 24-hour music network yeah. anymore? If MTV were a 24-hour video network, it would go out of business in a week. Well, then have it for MTV 2 or 3. Well, any the point is no business can like you can't you, you can't have you a can't, functioning cable channel with just 24, music 24 hours. You can't have you can't have one thing that you show 24 hours constantly. And it's it's not going to be a popular it's not going to be enough of a popular cable network. You sound network. like those guys that scoffed at ESPN back in the late 70s. But it's you can't do it anyway. Look, moving look, on, no, but, I, I, but no. But here, here's here's the thing: is here's what you're, here's the reason why MTV doesn't do that anymore. Because we all have these magic boxes that allow us to watch any music video we want, anytime, day or night, twenty four hours a day. When you have that, why would you sit around on a TV and just watch music videos playing all day? Oh, the magic box is not the tube television, right? The 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 magic box we all have on our desks and on our phones and on our tablets, like. Music videos are on demand now. Why would, you know, why on a, earth would you have MTV playing videos 24 I mean, hours know, a day? It's more of a rectangle than a box, but yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, also, so, oh, fine. Let's get something in that you can get in on. Okay. So, was I not enough of a contributor for Metallica? <laughs> no, and you're, right, in, a, in a minute in, you were already looking around the room like, Oh wow! Look, that wall is still there. That's cool. That's nice to know that the structure is still holding. Man, um, I feel like I'm being. I'm, I'm. There's character assassination happening here. Throughout that whole Metallica speech, I kept saying to myself, "Pay attention, pay attention." I went out of my way to make sure I was engaged. You are accusing me of something that's just not true. So you had to tell yourself, you had to psych yourself up to pay attention. That's right. In fact, I was telling myself, "Stay engaged, stay engaged," so much that I completely ignored everything you said because I was too busy trying to make sure I was still engaged. See, you're a horrible friend. <laughs> You should just want to be engaged. Yes, that's true. It's like it's like what Jennifer Aniston says to Vince Vaughn in um, the, the breakup. breakup, where she says, "You know, he's like, you know, like he's like, look, I, you 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 wanted me to do the dishes. I'm doing the dishes. What's the problem?" She's like, "I don't want you to do the dishes. I want you to want to do the dishes." So it's the same thing. You don't want me to pay attention to your Metallica segment. You want me to want to pay attention to your Metallica Dude, segment. Why are you quoting the breakup? I know. It's weird that was the first thing that came to my head. Yeah. What? Was it not poignant? Was it I, not? Did it not cover it exactly? I guess. I'm just worried about you that that's where your head went. That the first thing is that awful Vince Vaughn yeah. movie. So, so far, my pop culture references for the day have been Everybody by the Backstreet Boys and The Breakup, the Jennifer Aniston Vince Vaughn movie from like 15 years ago. You know what was a terrible movie? The, 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 the Point Break remake. Yeah. Quick little sidebar. I saw like half of it on HBO. <laughs> okay. Half of it on HBO. It's not worth anything. It's, it's bad. It's really horrible. It's not like laughingly bad. It's just, oh my God. It's, this is fucking horrible man don't watch it unless it's on hbo and it's free it's not costing anything anyway ryan star trek discovery <laughs> yes we've been talking about std for a while and you've been, you've been having the <laughs> std has been burning a hole in your pocket ryan and your trousers have been burned by std a lot of breakout stars on std oh dude so many so many so many so many anyway um <laughs> We've been talking about how it's it's not going to be on CBS. It's not going to be on CBS, CBS over the air television. Yeah, Star Trek Discovery is going to be on what is it? Oh, CBS All Access. Yeah, their their streaming platform. All Access. They're going to show one episode on CBS. CBS. Yeah, not the pharmacy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're that'd actually be weird. yes. All of the you can only watch Star Trek at, at your local C pharmacy. Yes. Um, while you're getting prescriptions and taking that. In fact, the only place where you can watch Star Trek Discovery is, you know that <laughs> machine where you get your blood pressure checked? Yeah. There's a little TV screen right there. That's the only place they're showing it at CBS. Sorry, CBS. Only the preview, only the first episode is going to be on CBS. The rest of it's going to be on CBS All Access streaming platform. And you're thinking like, oh, wow, this is great, man. No, not the tyranny of television. You were thinking this. I'm just thinking I want television. You, you know, no, t no commercials, no this. 
Right. So like, Ryan, it's gonna, it's gonna pay six dollars a month, but that's okay because it'll be on demand, no commercials. Yeah, six dollars a month. Ryan, apparently, uh, CBS came out with an announcement. Twelve minutes of commercials. Yes. The same exact amount of commercials as it would be on free over the air CBS. That's right. At the recent Television Critics Association press tour, the president of CBS said that the Star Trek Discovery series on the platform CBS All Access would carry an ad load of twelve minutes per episode for the full hour episode. What are we doing? That's too stupid. What are we doing? I mean, as a consumer, like, I get it. We make the choice. Either we have to watch ads or we pay to see your show. Like, we shouldn't have to do both. Yeah. Like, what? Like, that sucks. I mean, and granted, it's Star Trek. So, like, I mean, if it was 59 minutes of ads and one minute of show, I'm going to watch it. No, you're not. Okay, that might be a slight exaggeration. But it was like 58 and 2 I'm going to watch for sure. (laughs) But... I, th- I feel like what they're doing is they know they have a property that, you know, they have Trek fans because they know people like me who are going to watch it no matter what. And they're just going to screw us as much as they can. And that stinks. And it sucks that they're going to screw you because, you know, I want to get the password from you. But you're still going to have to watch. Yes, you're not going to pay for it because you're probably just going to steal my account. But you're still going to have to watch the commercials and that sucks. Yeah, that's going to suck. But at least I'm not contributing anything towards it. That's fair. I'll be able to criticize it, which I'm doing right now. That's stupid, CBS. Make a damn choice. Yeah. Decide. All right, get off the fence. And I don't even like that it's going to be on a streaming platform. Like, stop trying, stop treating Star Trek like it's different from every other TV show. Give it a real-time slot on a real network and put it on on-demand like every other TV show is. Yeah. You know, knock this crap off. Like, yeah. they're going to they're gonna ruin this show just by doing all this funny business with it. Like, you have Star Trek. Like, whatever you put out, it's going to be a hit because people are demanding Star Trek and they keep doing all this funny business and I feel like they're going to wreck this series. And it's what I said before. Like, I kind of want Disney to buy Star Trek because <laughs> I mean, you're like you're more of a Star Wars fan than I am, and I'm jealous of you because Disney bought Star Wars. And what happened the moment Disney bought Star Wars? You're getting like a new Star Wars movie every eight minutes. Like, oh, here's here's three more Star Wars movies. Oh, you want to find out about Rogue One? Okay, now we're going to do that. Oh, oh, you want a Han Solo prequel? Bam, Mickey Mouse is making it happen. Meanwhile, Star Trek is still owned by Paramount. And what do we get? Like one movie every five years that have nothing to do with the Star Trek canon. And like we get one new TV series having after having to wait 10 years for another TV series. And when all we ask for is, hey, let's just have a real Star Trek TV series like everybody else. No, we get this weird on-demand, all-access thing that we still have to pay for and watch commercials for. Like, I want Disney to buy huh. Star Trek so and, that it can be as cool as Star Wars. And Disney also owns Marvel Studios. Yeah. And they're making the best superhero movies right yeah. now. While Warners is having the crap problems with Zack Snyder and their weirdly dark, impressive, unfun DC universe. Paramount can't do anything apparently with Star Trek, you're saying. Wow, and people always criticize the mouse. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Mickey Mouse, Evil Empire, Disney. Yeah. You know. But no, Disney's the only one who seems to know what they're doing. But they're churning out good stuff. Right. And, they're, and it's like, they're not only are they turning out quality things, but they don't make you wait. Yeah. It's like, boom, new superhero movie well, what, every six months. Well, we did have to wait a long ass time for The Incredibles 2, That's true. which is like next year or something or the year after that. But yeah, Disney. Yeah, Disney's killing it. I, I kind of want to work for Disney. I actually legitimately do want to work for Disney because I kind of want the perks and maybe Star Wars stuff on the side of it. So if anyone from Disney is listening, please give me a job. I also want to move out to LA, so that's cool too. I mean, we are kind of giving them a lot of free pub right now. Disney, Disney, Disney. Ryan, do you have anything you'd like to add? Uh, Disney, Disney. Yeah, um, Disney, Disney. Ryan, I'm making an executive decision right now. Yeah, let's end the show. Oh, very good. Our thanks to Bobby Osinski. My thanks to you, Dave. We will see you next week on the Break the Business Podcast. Metallica.